Come on, Church. We can see you at home. Come on, let's go. We have cameras installed in your house. We said we were going to be connected in this time, and we are. Um, we don't have cameras installed in your house. Please don't call the cops on us. Um, hey, but we love you enough that we would if you wanted us to, but we're not going to. Um, Hey, this is our final um, part of our Modern Family series about relationships. We've been through so much together in this series here, but I think God has really been using it um, from the feedback that I've been getting from you. Um, Next week, now next week, uh, we're going to be going into a series called The God Complex. The God Complex. It's going to be super cool. I'm loving the branding, even though I haven't seen it yet. By faith, I love it. Um, Creative team, it's going to be great. But hey, what if we had a massive misunderstanding of the way God set up the universe. And what if our, in our misunderstanding we find ourselves fighting against God sometimes when we don't understand how it is that he thinks and how he moves. And so I'm going to be going through the fall of mankind. I'm going to be uh, doing a sermon maybe called The Right and Wrong Trap where the devil wants you to live your life according to what you think is right and wrong, but God wants you to live it according to what's obedience and disobedience. And there's a huge difference in there. It's going to be good, but you've got to come back. Um, so that's starting next week. So today's sermon is called Sorry, Not Sorry. Come on, Preaching Corner, say Sorry, Not Sorry. Sorry, Not Sorry. You're supposed to echo that, but I didn't say that. All right, close enough. I have my Amen Corner here. Um, you're going to like uh, today's, you're not going to like today's sermon. You're going to like it after. And everybody around you is going to like it after it's done because you're going to be a different person. Today we're going to learn how, you ready? God removes manipulation mind games and mind fields from your home and from your workplace and from your relationships and from your life. Now, can you imagine what your life would look like if you didn't have to spend all the sideways energy playing the manipulation game, the mind game, uh, the mind games that happen in your home and at work and in, in your life and, and the, uh, the mind fields. So you ever be around somebody, you got to like, maybe, maybe it's you. Uh, so everybody's got to walk around you like on eggshells. Um, uh, it's like a minefield around you, man. They just don't know. And so today's, I'm going to give you some steps in the sermon that's going to rid your home, rid your workplace of these sorts of things. So now, sadly, saying sorry gives us the illusion something is being fixed. In today's society, saying sorry is like the thing that you're supposed to do and then everything's supposed to be better. But saying sorry gives us the illusion that something is actually being fixed. Now saying sorry, you're ready, 50 times a week indicates attitudes aren't changing. Because bad behavior comes from bad attitudes and saying sorry 50 times a week for the same dang thing. And your wife is like, you're not. It indicates that your attitudes aren't changing. So I have some steps in place. You're going to learn how to change bad attitudes today. Now saying sorry 50 times a week indicates that attitudes are not changing. And some of y'all are like, that's why I never apologize for anything, but that's not better. That's not any better. All right. Bad behavior comes from bad attitudes. This is what attitude can be defined as an uncooperative behavior. Are you the kid in the sandbox that you just get mad and then you just want to take all your toys and leave? You know, uncooperative behavior when you have an attitude. Um, it can also mean this settled way of thinking. So think about it like this. We need something to break up the concrete of bad attitudes inside of us that, that will eventually, when bad attitudes get fixed, then bad behavior stops. So it's, it's like when you get okay with being uncooperative. 
And uh, God doesn't want you to be that way. He wants you to be very cooperative. He wants you to play nice in the sandbox. So, um, Now, the enemy is not conflict in your life. And, and I'm going to show you uh, in steps of how to deal with conflict today. The enemy is not conflict. The enemy is struggling with the same issue tomorrow. And then the same issue the next day and the same issue the next day. And that you get into this conflict fatigue because we don't know, maybe you haven't been trained in how to actually deal with the conflict. And so, but conflict is not the enemy. If God wants you to climb a mountain or fight a war, like conflict is just, it's going to be a part of your life as a Christian. You got to learn how to deal with conflict right. It's not the enemy. The enemy is struggling with the same issue tomorrow and having the same conflict tomorrow that never gets any better. And so, um, you know, I didn't know till years after, you know, I, I was uh, in my parents' home that a lot of homes don't deal with conflict that well because um, every home thinks that your home is normal until you meet, like, go over to your friend's home and you're like, oh, my goodness, we're psychos, you know? Like, this is not normal. This is just normal because it's us. It's just normal here, but it's not healthy. And so I, I, w- I was lucky in that I grew up in a healthy home. I'm going to show you some of the things that my parents who are in the amen corner right now, some of the things that they taught me. Now, conflict in the Cope home was like Tuesday morning. And Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday morning. I mean, conflict was just a a normal part of our our day. Um, And and part of that, like, look, neither of my parents came from particularly healthy homes. I mean, dad's home had better boundaries. Mom's home was just crazy. Um, But, you know, dad dad is Dutch, and, and I'm allowed to say this because I'm half Dutch, but the Dutch are, they can be a bit stubborn. I don't know if you know. I mean, every other country in the world is like, hey, we're going to build our nation on the land. And the Dutch are like, we're going to build our nation on the sea. So there's this mix of ingenuity and stubbornness. That's like, we refuse to let the sea not be built upon. You know, so they figured out a way to keep the sea out of their country rather than just move it inland a little bit. (laughs) But I heard a Dutch guy say of himself one time, he's like, wooden shoes, wooden head, wouldn't listen. So, yeah, I can, I'm, I can say it. Yeah, a bit stubborn, you know. So my dad's got that in his blood. My mom is Irish, and uh, if we're talking about conflict, I don't know if I need to say anything else there. The Irish are always up for a good scrap. Um, but neither of them came from particularly healthy families. But they, they let uh, Christ work in their lives to learn how to deal with conflict properly because neither of them grew up learning how to deal with conflict properly. So that will give you great hope that it's a skill that you build. And if you weren't taught it, they weren't taught it, but they let the Lord in to learn how to deal with conflict. So, and, and we were part of a church leadership family. So not only do we, did we have all of our problems, we had all of everybody else's problems. And if anybody gets mad, they always get mad at the pastor. You know, nobody gets mad at like the Sunday school teacher. I mean, I don't even know what happens in venue kids. Like a little, I should, I should probably know, but I don't. And if somebody leaves the church and they get mad about something, they always get mad at whoever's in charge, right? And so, so we had that going on. And a church leadership family and the devil is trying to kill you the, all the time. And we had to learn how to get through conflict very quickly and resolve issues. Because if you had an issue on Monday, man, the devil's going to bring something new on Thursday. You've got to get over it quick. And so we had some, some things that were established there that, that I learned about. And on top of all of that, they had me. I'm like an eight on the Enneagram. If you don't know what the Enneagram is or you think it's the old cult or whatever, I don't think that it is. So don't send me any more emails because I won't read them. But hey, so I'm an eight on the Enneagram. And the eights, there's not many Canadian eights on an Enneagram. In fact, I met a psychologist, a, a Christian psychologist uh, in Canada. And he's, he said to me, you're an eight on the Enneagram? He goes, I've never met a Canadian eight who wasn't a psychopath. And I'm like, and maybe you still haven't. I don't know. Um, 
It's just an unusual personality type because Canadians are, you know, very pliable and get alongsies and all of that and kumbaya, kumbaya singers and stuff like that. That's not me. So raising a two-year-old eights on the Enneagram, um, you know, eights on the Enneagram are like basically like give me what I want and I won't make a scene. Or it's up to you because I can do it. We can do it if that's what you want. And so, um, so, so even training me, they had to learn to deal with a lot of conflict. And so we, I had uh, great skills growing up, but I mean, you want a story about what it was like to, okay. So when I was four, my mom stopped disciplining me. And if you're one of those parents who don't believe in disciplining your kids, you never had a Hitler. You don't know. So shut up. So, so my mom, the, the last time she attempted to discipline me, um, she, she was trying to lay hands on me and pray for me. I probably, she was just trying to get a hold of me. And I, I discovered when I was four that I could run faster than my mom, but I didn't just outrun mom. I ran just, just enough in front of her to sing this song. Have patience. Have patience, don't be in such a hurry. <laughs> Not too far in front, because then she can't hear the lyrics. It was Music Machine or something like, If you get impatient, you only start to worry. Remember, remember that God is patient too. So think of all the times that others had to wait for you. So that was the day that my childhood ended, because then it became, you wait till your dad gets home. And I remember the Holy Ghost trying to get to me and be like, stop, you idiot, stop. If the Holy Ghost never called you an idiot, you're not listening to the Holy Ghost. Stop, you idiot, stop. Like, what's she going to do? She's not going to do anything. Um, but I, you know, so we had to learn how to deal with conflict. And so um, now it takes an enormous amount of five-minute energy. Think about conflict like this. An enormous outpouring of five-minute energy to deal with an issue. Five minutes, or if you, do, if you don't have the skills yet, you'll spend months bleeding because you won't resolve issues and you'll just bleed a little bit every day. And then you slip into this whole manipulation and, you, and, and into this whole uh, unresolved issues lead into blackmail. It's like, well, you have that thing that I know about and so you're not going to talk about this thing. And then you start blackmailing the Holy Ghost and that gets weird because the Holy Ghost, blackmail is called unholy. So you're not talking to the Holy Spirit anymore. And uh, my mom one time, because of the home that she grew up in, God asked her to do something in a, in a prayer time or something one time she didn't want to do. God ever tell you to do stuff you don't want to do? That's how you know it's God. <laughs> and so God told her, like, hey, I want you to do this thing. And, and she starts in on this, like, negotiation until God said, don't try that cute stuff on me. I'm not your dad. Because <laughs> it worked on her dad, but it doesn't work on God, right? And so... Um, so unresolved issues, it takes an enormous amount of five minute energy. That's how I want you to think about it today to deal with an issue, to deal with an issue. Now, if you grew up in a manipulative home, um, even when, when we, we train each other here, cause we're going to read a story about Jacob and Esau, who is uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So Jacob and Esau uh, were twin brothers. We're going to learn how Isaac and Rebecca never dealt with conflict in their home. And so, um, but if you grow up in a manipulative home, even once you learn how to start doing things right, it's going to take a little bit of time because when the Holy Ghost comes in and sends you people to help train you in how to do this, it's going to feel manipulative too. Listen, because everything does. 
If you grew up in a manipulative home, everything feels manipulative to you. Even the right way will feel manipulative to you because the only thing that doesn't feel manipulative in a manipulative person or home is when you're in control of everything. But in a godly person, in a godly home, when the power passes to Christ, that's what feels right. So you're having... You know, manipulation, mind games, and minefields is all about power and it's all about control. And you're going to have to learn that, no, no, it's only when those, when the, when the control and the power passes into the hands of the Holy Ghost, that's when I need to calm down and be like, okay, okay, he's got this now. Okay, okay. But it's going to feel wrong at the beginning. Now, when you deal with an issue, here's just another little thing I want you to understand. Deal with one issue at a time. Um... If you've been through Dave Ramsey, which if, if your finances are a mess or you're not as generous as you want to be, you need to go through Dave Ramsey. We'll start it up again in the fall. Everyone who goes through that comes out like winning financially, and it's incredible. Um, the only trouble is you've got to do it. Um, but, but he talks about a snowball effect with debt, and he says this thing that doesn't make sense today. He says, pay off your smallest debt first and then get a snowball effect of winning. And so this is what I want you to do with conflict. I want you to, to, to start dealing with little conflicts first because you're not going to handle big ones because you can't handle little ones yet. So some of us, we think we're so talented, like, hey, when we get to the big war, then we'll win. And the devil's like, no, you won't because you don't do push-ups at home. You know, so what we have to is, it's just a little thing. So I want you to start with something small. And I want you to deal with one issue at a time. So you have to discipline yourself and the people around you like, hey, we're going to deal with this issue now until it's done. When it's done, we're not going to deal with this issue again and again and again. You know, it's not like you're not going to mess stuff up. But, I mean, really to dig down and deal with the issue, the the reason you're not dealing with it yet is because you haven't gone through the steps yet to deal with it, which I'm going to show you. Once we deal with this issue, then we're going to deal with another issue. So you've got to be careful that you don't start allowing yourself mostly, but other people to be like, hey, but what about this? And then what about that? And then, oh my goodness, your marriage will get buried in no time at all. You've got to deal with one thing at a time and one thing only. Then next day you'll wake up in the morning and instead of everything being torn down by the next conflict, you'll be like, hey, well, at least we got this one thing that's working. And you just, you know, a little bit at a time, baby steps. Now, here are five steps in five minutes that fix attitudes. Remember, your bad behavior is the result of a bad attitude, a bad Uh, a bad emotional set, a bad mindset. And so five steps in five minutes that fix attitudes. You won't be able to do it in five minutes at first because you learned all these bad habits. But I think that, I say it in five minutes, I just, you got to all stop. Hit the all stop button and just deal with an issue. You can do it in five minutes. I think that once you get good at it, I think you can do it in less than a minute, honestly. I think you could do it in about 30 seconds once it becomes part of who you are. But at the beginning, just think about it like this. In five minutes, we could actually deal with this issue right now. Everybody calm down. Let's just deal with the issue. Okay, so this is how we're going to deal with the issue. You'll notice that the first step has nothing to do with the other person. And that's why the issue never gets dealt with. First, step number one, you ready? Is what is my part? Now, if I counsel you in marriage, I know you think that 99% of the marriage problem is the other person. And so I nod and smile and say, but what would your 1% be? Because we can't fix them, remember? Well, you need to tell him about the 99%. And I'm like, you know what he's saying? 99% is her. I'm like, well, let's talk about the 1% because we got to start 
with what's my part. That's in the first thing in a conflict, you have to have this inward journey that's like, wait, 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 stop, time out, you gotta go for a walk, gotta do whatever you gotta do, and come back with your piece of the pie. However small you think it is, what's my part? Don't do what you always do and talk to them first. Because you either fight or flight, and I'm a fighter. And if you're a flight, you just back out of the ring, man, you're not even there anymore, but no, you gotta come back in, so you're just in the middle somewhere, and you just be like, okay. Now, you ready? Anger, this dilutes anger. What's my part? It dilutes anger. Anger mistakes mirrors for windows. You've, you've got to get to this place where the Holy Ghost can have enough of your spirit that you're not angry. Because if you're angry, God is holding up a mirror, the preacher is holding up the sermon, and you think it's a window through which you can see other people's mistakes and you think I'm talking to them, but I'm not, I'm talking to you. And so, because I know you sit in the sermons and you're like, oh my goodness, I wish my wife was here. And God's like, you're the one who's there, there's a reason you're there. Right? So, the, the Holy Ghost will always hold up a mirror to you first. The only, the only people, you ready? The only people that God holds up a window through which you can see is, some, is something, uh, is somebody that you've beaten that, that issue in your life, you have victory in that issue, and they're under your responsibility. You mean that nobody makes mistakes in the government? Okay, you got me there. Because <laughs> if I'm being honest. Right, but you can only deal with what you have responsibility over and what you have authority over. And you have definitely have authority over you. And so you have to understand that. Sometimes people come to me and they're like, Pastor, I see all your problems. And I'm thinking to myself, just take, just take the key words and use them on you. Because it's not a mirror. It's not a window. It's a mirror. And God's not going to tell you about my problems. God... Look, do you want to be my dad? You don't want to be my dad. He got a hard job. No, my pastor got a hard job. No, God will hold up a mirror first. And as soon as you internalize that, then God, okay. So what, here, what's my part? Number two, here's what I did and why. Here's what I did. You got to say it in the cold light of day, cold hard math. Here's what I did and why. You got to go over it. Here's what I said in the argument and why I said it. And why I said it, try to keep away from this, and because I'm a hero. No. And why? I was angry. I was afraid, and I got panicked, and I, uh, I was jealous, I was insecure, I was... The, I, the why part, you don't get to look like a hero there. And here's what you don't get to say in this part if you want to be mature, like an adult. Uh, you don't get to say, I did it, and it's because you hurt me. Hurt people don't have to be sinful people. And you'll never get to the bottom of, of your issue until you admit your part that you played. And the part you played was a choice to react poorly, a choice to sin. And so uh, just because somebody hurts you doesn't mean that you have to get offended and doesn't mean that you have to be sinful. People hurt Jesus, and yet he was without sin. So there's our example. So number one, what's my, that is good preaching. What's my part? Number two, here's what I did and why. Um, now, the other person's issue here, can I just say this, cannot come up. The other person's issue, they might have started the fight. It can't come up there. You're talking about you, and you're talking about your issue. So finish it. Um, now, this is not, you ready? This is a powerful thing. Come on, if you grew up in a manipulative home, this is not handing them power. This is handing it past them to God. That's not. You're not giving them power. You're giving God power. You ready? And if you won't give it to God, God can't change them. And God certainly can't change you. 
I got to stop preaching right there, but I'm not going to. Now, the hardest part is that you have to give up the right to feel whatever made you sinful. Did you have the right to feel like that? As long as you have the right, you'll do it again. That's called a bad attitude. That's called pouring your attitude in concrete and thinking that you have an excuse to sin. So you got to get to this place. The hardest part is like, I don't have the right to feel that, actually. I had the right to feel hurt, but I didn't have the right to respond in that way. That emotion, you ready, is sinful. And when you can pull your seat back to attitudes, if you can pull it back and be like, my emotion that I felt there was not Christ-like, it was sinful, then God is like, yeah, now I can do stuff. Now I can go and change your... All right. Um, number three is very important. Forgive me. You forgive me? You've got to ask the other person to do what you can't do. Now, forgiveness is not something... You don't wait for somebody to apologize before you forgive them. Jesus didn't. He said, Father, forgive them. They're a bunch of clowns, you know. Corey paraphrased. Like, they have no idea what they're doing. Uh, he didn't wait for you to apologize. No, the thing is, you need it deposited in your account. And so that's why you ask them to forgive you. Chad, would you forgive me, please? I'm, that was on me. You know, here's my part. Here's what I did and why. Would you forgive me for that? Um, if you won't do this, see, sin builds a wall, and that wall stays there until these five steps come into play. That tears the wall down. Um, now, forgive me. Uh, receiving forgiveness is also harder on your pride than giving it. So keep that in mind. You might be good at forgiving people, but you might not be good at receiving forgiveness because that's actually harder on your pride to ask somebody like, would you forgive me, please? Um, number four, here's maybe one of the most crucial ones, although the other ones are all crucial, is, is this, um, just two words, fix it. Here's what society won't tell you. Fix it. The Bible says if you stole, steal no longer. Oh, and pay it back. Now, forgiveness is saying, look, mom, I can't give you back the time that you wasted on me. I can't give that back to you, so would you forgive me for that? But moving forward, I'm going to do my best to restore what I took. So you have to have that heart inside of you. I, I need to, as long as you feel hurt and angry, you can't get to this place where I'm like, no, I actually took that from my family. We argued in front, you know, Pastor Aaron, we argued in front of our kids. You know what you got to do to fix it sometimes? Hug in front of the kids. Or it's tough to do just to be like, hey, sorry, um, mom and dad are a bit crazy right now, but that has nothing to do with you. We love you. We're going to work it out. We always do. Um, would, you, would you help? Could, could we just pray for mom right now? Because I did some stuff I'm not proud about. I don't want you to do that in your marriage moving forward, you know, when you get married. But it's just like if you, if you took something from it, then you got to put something back in. You got to do it your part, you know, fix it. Number five, last thing. You ready? Five things in five minutes. I'm accountable. I'm accountable. Here's who I'm accountable to. So I give my word. Why do you spend that in the budget again? Well, Pastor Aaron knows. Like, we had to work this through. I'll tell you, that was a, that was a fight to do that budget together. Mostly her fault. <laughs> You're not going to boo me. This is my sermon. <laughs> fix, fix it. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me. Yeah, no, it was mostly my fault. That's, that's on me. Um, no, I'm accountable, which means I'm a, I gave my word. So you make sure, if you love me, don't let me not keep my word. So I said I wasn't going to do this again, and I did. Speak up. Like, say something so that I don't break my own word. If I break my own word, we have nothing, you know. And so, um, so I'm accountable. So let's go through it quick again here. Five steps in five minutes that will, will break your bad attitude and will break the bad attitudes in your kids. If you don't break their bad attitudes, their bad behaviors will break them. So you have one choice. 
You know, like, either I'm going to break their bad attitudes or I'm going to one day watch their bad attitudes break them. So I can do it in a loving home or I can watch somebody who doesn't love them break them. And so that's what you got. You got to break bad attitudes, but you got to do it in yourself or you won't have the moral authority to do it in them. So here's step one. What is my part? Number two, here's what I did and why. Number three, forgive me. Number four, fix it. And number five, I'm accountable. Genesis 25, Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebecca became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? Lilani asked. <laughs> Emily and Lilani, I know you're watching from home, our South African contingent. And they got twin boys and I don't know. The Lord bless you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord keep your furniture safe and give them peace. God, let them sleep at night. Hey, listen, sometimes there's a struggle with the blessing. Sometimes God gives you a blessing, but it's a struggle. It's a struggle. The Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. Well, um, one nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. So this is God's word. To Rebecca. Now, you're going to find in the story of Jacob and Esau, I don't have time to go through it all, but, but, uh, but Isaac, who's their father, and Rebecca, see, God's word came to Rebecca, but I don't think that Isaac either heard it or received it. Because Isaac's favorite was Esau, and he spends his time trying to get Esau that firstborn slot. And so sometimes uh, uh, your plans for your kids are not God's plans for your kids. And, um, and Isaac, I don't think, ever had that conversation with God. You've got to have that conversation with God and be like, hey, this is, my, this is what I'm thinking, but what are you thinking? Because they belong to you, really. And so one day when Jacob was cooking some stew, this grew up into a huge rivalry because Rebecca, her, her favorite was Jacob. Now it says that, that Esau, the name means uh, hairy because it says he came out hairy like he was wearing a fur coat. Aren't you glad that your name is not based on what you look like when you were born? Like wrinkly or what I saw, I saw a baby one time and my brother and I saw it. We never seen like a brand new baby. My brother's like, mom, what's wrong with her? Something wrong with her. This is a baby. She's all wrinkly. But one day, and Jacob, his name means deceiver or supplanter because his, uh, cause Esau came out first and Jacob's hand was on his heel. Super gross. On his heel, meaning like deceiver, supplanter. It's the Bible's real. Like name your kids real things. No, don't do that. My name is Corey, and that means dweller by a hollow or a seething pool, which means basically like the weird guy down by the river. So, I, thanks, you know. Um, one day Jacob was cooking stew, developed into a rivalry. Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. Aren't you glad that you don't get named for what you ate? You got the Baconator over here. Come on. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Back to the scripture. Got to be holy. All right. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your, this is where it gets weird. Trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Whoa. These are young men now. These are not like little boys. Trade me your rights as the firstborn son. You can't go back and undo something. Some of you are mad about you. You're mad because somebody else, you feel like they were born with something you didn't have. As if that can stop God. And you spend your whole life wishing you were somebody else. Esau, 
I mean, you've got to watch this. Like, this is not the first time this has gone on in the home, but it's gone on so long that this didn't become an abnormal statement where everything is like, what? No, the manipulation and the mind games and the minefields that have been going on so long because there were unresolved things because Isaac and Rebecca never taught them how to deal with conflict. And they didn't deal with this either. Unresolved issues turn brothers against each other. If you won't resolve your issues in the body of Christ, it'll turn somebody that God sent, sent to cover your blind spot and to fight beside you, and they'll, you'll turn against them in your heart. Look, I'm dying of starvation, Esau said. He's hungry. He's a guy. I get it. What good is my birthright to me now? Look, I can't even make it to the tent right there. Anybody feel like that? I feel like that. I can't even do it, Aaron. You don't even know. She's like, you ate 15 minutes ago. I can't. I can't even. Just carry me. My legs are tired. But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. For reals? I always make fun of vegetarians and stuff. But I tried lentil stew one time and it's pretty good, but don't tell them. It's pretty good. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. He was not a disciplined man. If you don't have the character to deal with conflict right, you'll sell your birthright for a Baconator. <laughs> There's so many things I want to say about bacon right now, but I can't. Because some of y'all are vegetarians. Now, what happens when in unresolved uh, issues, it starts dividing the family. Um, and I think Jacob did have an unresolved issue with God that he, he loved his firstborn. And he didn't want to go against what society said with the firstborn, that the firstborn should inherit the double portion. Can I hear an amen, venue church? Firstborns inherit the double portion over their brother Ryan. Scriptural. We need to go to the lawyer on Monday fix it. Um, but what he never did, and some of the reason that you, maybe you don't have the moral authority that you would like in your home in dealing with conflict is because you've never settled some issues with God. You got to take these five steps to God first before you go to anybody else. And Isaac never went to God and said, okay, so here's my piece of the pie. I'm not happy about my younger son ruling my older son. I'm not happy about that. I don't like that. I'd like my older son. I don't like my younger son because he's not hairy. And his name is not the Baconator, and I like bacon. I mean, there's just something in him that wasn't fixed. He'd just never gone to God. Gonna be like, okay, so this is my problem. Forgive me, God. His heart was unchanged about the thing. He's like, God, I, I don't want Jacob to rule in my family. And, and if he'd have gone to God, God could have been like, whose family? You mean my family? Why do you think that me blessing the younger is going to somehow hurt the older? If I want to bless the younger, it's also going to bless the, because I'm God and that's what I can do. And why, if he'd never gone to God and realized, wait, I can bless whoever I want and bless everybody through them. It says one day when Isaac in, in Genesis 27, Isaac was old and turning blind. He called for Esau, his older son, and said, my son, yes, father, Esau replied, I'm an old man and don't know when I may die. Take your bow and quiver of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. So Jacob had already stolen 
for lentil stew, um, the birthright from Esau. Now, this is the, the blessing of the firstborn. This is another thing that is blessing from, from God. And I can imagine God looking at Isaac right now and saying, like, for reals? I told you that the older was going to serve the younger. I told you that the blessing was going to be... Some of you, um, you grew up in homes, I'm just feeling this now, where you felt like your siblings, uh, were f- there was favoritism towards them. But how many people know that that means nothing to God? And you are always God's favorite. And you will always be God's favorite. You just need to relax. Rebecca overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So Esau left to hunt for the game. She said to her son Jacob, listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, bring me wild game and prepare me a meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Hey, just go over and ask Isaac about the blessing. Just go over and and let the 500-pound gorilla out of the cage and see what happens. Just go over and do the right thing and let God worry about the rest. Just go over and obey and let God worry about the result. No. (laughs) She didn't even give God an opportunity to fix Isaac. Because couldn't Jacob have gone over to his father and say, "But, but dad, what about the word that God gave my mother? about me what about that would that not have could the holy spirit not have done something in isaac do you think that god is limited by what isaac does or doesn't do why do you think he's the holy ghost is limited by what happened to you by what your dad was like you have almighty god as your father you have spiritual fathers in the house why are you wasting your life wishing something could have been different back then it could be a great victory for somebody you just need to get over it come on Then what happens? This is what happens. I'm just going to paraphrase this. What happens is she tells Jacob, go get two young goats. And she makes a, a meal that Isaac, Isaac must have been huge because he's blind now. So he can't really move around all that much. And he's huge because he loves food. I mean, just read it into here because he's not skinny. So, so she goes and kills the goats. And Jacob's like, but I don't smell like my brother. And she's like, well, go get some of his stinky clothes that he hasn't washed yet because he's been at university for four years. Just go get some of those and put those on. Stinky. So you smell like him. And Jacob's like, but my, my skin is smooth. And I'm not like a fur coat. And she, she's like, I'll, I'll think of something. And so she takes the skin of the goats and put it, puts it on his arms and on the back of his neck. So Isaac brings him near because Isaac is blind because sometimes... When you don't go through the five steps, you get blind. Isaac is blind, and he's like, the voice is the voice. You know, are you Esau, my son, he says? And Jacob's like, yes. (laughs) And he deceives his father, and he's like, well, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but man, you smell like Esau. You're hairy like Esau. Listen, when you can't rely on God to do what's right for you, you walk around with the... This is not like, these are freshly killed skins of animals. You walk around with dead things on you in an ill-fitting armor that doesn't suit you, that doesn't smell right, that makes everybody around you cringe. You just need to be you. And let God be God. Then what happens, says, he tricks him. God blesses, or, uh, Isaac blesses Jacob with the blessing that God already said he was going to get. Then Esau comes in. 
and finds out that Jacob had stolen his blessing and freaks out. And from that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. He began to scheme. I will soon be mourning my father's death. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But Rebecca heard his plans. And what she did was she sent Jacob. Um, she said, uh, listen, Esau is consoling himself by plotting to kill you. So listen carefully, my son. Get ready and flee to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him there until your brother cools off. When he calms down and forgets what you have done, which he's not going to do. I will send for you to come back. Why should I lose both of you in one day? But she did. See, she lost her connection with Esau and she lost Jacob for like 20 years. And that's the only other thing is that if you won't break bad behaviors in yourself, then you can't break them in your home and in your relationships. You can't break them if you have a company in your company. If you won't break your bad attitudes in yourself so that your bad behaviors can be broken. And if you won't do that, then eventually it will drive a wedge between, because sin drives a wedge. And the only thing that takes sin apart are these five steps. Where, where it actually tears the wall down between you and puts the wall around you. I said it tears down the wall between you and builds one around you to keep the devil out. And when you tear down the wall between you, God actually can fix your heart. So that you actually want to see your brother receive the blessing. So that you actually want to see your, your wife receive the blessing that she doesn't deserve just because God is good and God can. So you actually want to see your horrible teenager receive a blessing in their lives rather than like get everything that you think they deserve right now. Nobody else has teenagers. It's okay. Here are five steps in five minutes to fix attitudes. Now this is something. Can I say this as your pastor? Do not post this on social media. Don't pray about something like this. Just do it. You don't, don't pray about something God wants you to do. Just do it. My dad is preaching now. Just do it. Five steps in five minutes to fix attitudes. He should. Isaac should have done this. Then he could have done it with his kids. What's my part? You know, what's your part, Jacob? Then he would have had the authority if he'd have gone to God first and been like, hey, hey, what's my part in this, God? Show me my part. But he didn't. But he should have gone to Jacob and been like, what's your part? Why are you insecure about your birthright? God already spoke about it. Relax. I'm powerless against God. And Esau, pack a dang lunch. Just do what a four-year-old child can do. What's my part? Here's what I did and why. Say it and say it. Say it in the cold light of day when you're not angry and you actually got to say what you said. Forgive me. Maybe Isaac needed to be like, forgive me for not being a good dad. I'm going to work on it. Then like fix it. <laughs> Jacob, give him his birthright back. And Esau, give him a suit. And number five, hold us accountable, God, to this word we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.